<laughs> but I thought it was great. So we're recording this now. Um, we lost internet last week and then it just kind of took a minute and then we jumped back in. So just kind of hang with me. Um, okay, so Heyman is the bad guy. Heyman is in the gagite, okay? Um, I can't remember who was with us two weeks ago. Ty, do you remember why? What's up, Caleb? Hello, I'm so sorry I'm late. Oh my gosh, oh, I totally oh lost track of time. It's, dude, you know me. We've been so long-winded. We're just now getting started, so you have oh, okay. missed nothing. Don't worry. Okay. We're just kind of doing a little review to jump into Chapter 4. Um, Ty, why is Heyman being in a gagite a big deal? Uh, isn't this the first group that attacked uh, Israel during Exodus? Okay, so we're going way far back. All right, here's how this works. Haman isn't, and I would encourage you guys to go back and listen to the recording. Haman isn't a Gagite, okay? A Gagites are descended from King Agag, okay? And the Amalekites, all right? King Agag was supposed to be killed by King Saul, but he wasn't. Uh, so Samuel hacked him to pieces. Not a great ending for Agag. And so Haman is the descendant of King Agag. Not that they're all supposed to be kings or whatever, but it's just they're, they're related, okay? Mordecai is from the line of Benjamin. And, and specifically, Kish, okay? Kish is Saul's dad, okay? So they're, it's kind of this family feud, but there's more than that, okay? The Amalekites, right? King Agag, the Amalekites, Amalek is a descendant of who? Do you guys remember this? Amalek is a descendant of who? Let's see. No worries. So Amalek is a... Ty, you got it? Is it Esau? It is. Amalek is a Woo. descendant of Esau. Okay, nice. Yeah. Amalek's a descendant of Esau. So this isn't just two families that, are, that hate each other. This goes all the way back to Jacob and Esau. And it's more than that, though. In Genesis 3, we learn that the seed of the serpent is going to fight against the seed of the woman, okay? The seed of the woman, the seed of Eve, the seed of Mary, this is Jesus, but Jesus' line, the Israelites, God's chosen people, okay, versus the seed of the serpent, Um those who want to destroy Israel. And think about it. All of Haman's line has been warring against the people of God. Esau hated Jacob. Amalek and the Amalekites, they hated Israel in the book of Exodus. King Agag was trying to kill the Israelites. It, it goes all the way back, which is so interesting because we're in Revelation. I didn't even plan this, but the, it's almost like the Bible was written by the same person, huh? Um, you know, Babylon, the war of God's people against the people of Satan, the people who don't worship God, it's always been like this. Haman is second in command of all of Persia, and everyone's supposed to bow to him, okay? But one person doesn't. Cam, do you remember who doesn't bow to Haman? Mordecai. Mordecai doesn't, and we learn it's probably because he's a Jew, but he's also, you've got the Kish Agag thing going on. It's super awkward. He doesn't bow, and Haman reacts in a very reasonable way, right? In a super reasonable way. Cam, what is Haman's reaction, basically? What does he decide to do? He essentially decides to kill all the Jews. 
all of them, rather than like a stern talking to an email, mayhaps, right? Meeting with HR or something like this. Haman decides to commit genocide. Thank you, Anna, for appreciating that joke. Haman decides to commit genocide and what which sounds like an overreaction. But first of all, we have two evidences that it's not. First of all, remember in chapter one, King A, his wife wouldn't obey him. And he sets out an edict against all the women of the empire, right? An overreaction against the type of person who said no to him. Now in chapter three, it's the same thing. This vast overreaction to the type of person who said no to him, to Haman, right? But also, again, this makes more sense when we look at it over all of redemptive history. This isn't just one person overreacting and being hypersensitive. This is the work of Satan. This is the work of the Haman is literally later on in the chapter, in the, in the book, he is called an enemy of the people of God. That's what Satan is. That's what Esau was. That's what Amalek and Agag, he is just continuing to fit the bill for the, he is a representative of Satan's attack against the people of God, right? Just like in Revelation, Babylon is not just the kingdom of Babylon. It's what is Babylon, Alexa? It's not just an individual kingdom, but it's really what? It's supposed to be representative of all the government systems. Yeah. Because they all think the same way Babylon does. Good. Every kingdom or system that is against God. Haman is not the Antichrist by any means, but he's just another representative in a long line of people who are enemies of the people of God. The whole city's thrown into confusion. It is bad news bears. That's the Hebrew there. So now we get into Esther chapter four. (laughs) I tickled myself there. Sorry. Uh, Esther, how vain am I? Esther chapter four. Um, Let's go. Abigail, do you mind reading Esther four, one through three? Esther four, one through three. Excuse me. When Mordecai learned all that had been done, Mordecai tore his clothes and put on on sackcloth and ashes. And he went out into the midst of the city, and he cried out with a loud and bitter cry. He went up to the entrance of the king's gate, for no one was allowed to enter the king's gate clothed in sackcloth. And in every province, wherever the king's command and his decree reached, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting and weeping and lamenting, and many of them lay in sackcloth and ashes. Cool. Okay, so this is super interesting and important. First of all, there's all this mourning and crying, right? There's all this pain going on. But, but what's interesting here is, Anna, tell me what they're wearing and what's being put on them. What's going on here in uh, verse 1? Couldn't get my mute to work. Um, they're wearing sackcloth and tearing your clothes and also wearing ashes. Yes. This is a huge sign does anyone know what 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 is this typically associated with in the old testament see maybe seen it in the past job does it um sackcloth and ashes is associated with jewish mourning okay crying pain bitterness but here's what's crazy um let's go caleb let's see you may not this may be have been earlier before you jumped in with us Esther is the only book in the Bible 
basically, that doesn't mention who. Was uh, I remember hearing this like a few weeks ago? Doesn't it not mention God? Yes, I was about to say, just think of like the biggest answer you can give me. Yeah, so Esther is the only book in the Bible that doesn't mention God, but it's not just that it doesn't mention God, there is no allusion to him at all, except for through the sarcasm of the narrator, which which we've seen some before. But here's what's important this. This mourning and pain is almost always associated with prayer in Scripture, almost every single time, okay? And we'll see this again later on when they call for a fast. It almost always is associated with prayer. Like it, like it just goes together, two sides of the same coin, because you're in mourning. And yet, Anna, not a trick question, what is not mentioned in verses 1 through 3? What do they not do? Uh, mention God or prayer. I don't know. Sorry, my mom texted me. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, Anna. Um, okay. No, I'm just kidding. Alexa, what's the, what do they not do? I liked her answer. They don't pray. They're That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Boom, Anna, look at you. So they, they don't pray. There's no prayer mentioned. So, so it seems to be showing that these people, it's like you're upset because you got caught but you're not actually regretful of what you've done. Does that make sense? The whole, remember, these people are in Persia. They're not in Jerusalem. And the reason they've been kicked out of Jerusalem is because they have disobeyed. All this has happened because they've disobeyed God. And now they're lamenting. And so, but again, we see this incredible picture of God's love. The question is, is God going to keep his covenant love to his people when they don't hold up their end of the bargain, okay? They're not exactly earning God's love here. Not that we could, but you get what I'm saying. They're in no way holding up their end of the bargain. Not only are they in exile, but their exile doesn't even seem to be having the proper effect it should be having on them. Any Jew reading this would read sackcloth and ashes and the well, where's the prayer? And he cried a loud, bitter cry in verse one. Who's that cry to, right? But it never mentions prayer. There's no mention of it. So it seems like, so, so in this chapter, we're going to really see God's deep love for his people, even when they don't get it right. And in our own lives, all right, you've committed this sin but now you've turned your life around and now you can feel close to God again because of your good behavior. But when you sin in that same way, again, you completely crash and ignore God because you don't think there's any way you've blown it. Like you've totally blown it by your own standards. So there's no way that God is going to want to be with, with you, right? Esther completely throws that away. This book completely shows that God is completely faithful to us, even when we have ceased being faithful to him. So let's keep going and we'll see this. Um, Alexa, can you read four and five? When Esther's eunuchs and female attendants came and told her about Mordecai, she was in great distress. She sent clothes for him to put on instead of his sackcloth, but he would not accept them. Then Esther summoned Hathok, one good. of the king's eunuchs, 
as signed to attend her and ordered him to find out what was troubling Mordecai and why. Okay, so we get a couple of important things here. First of all, what's the, what's the job description that comes up twice in this section? Abigail, did you catch it? What's the, the type of job that comes up twice in, each, in one of these verses? I could have asked that better. Um, was it? It's a job it's... for, sorry? A eunuch? Yes. Okay. This theme is so important in the book of Esther. Okay, because it will be massively important in the finale at the end, towards the end of the book. Okay, and and what is the reason, Alexa? Why does Esther need eunuchs? Hold on, let's back up. Let's have some fun, Alexa. What's a eunuch? Gosh, I just uh, can't remember. What's a, a eunuch? Is a man who is castrated. Yeah, yes, that's exactly right. Um, I have a diagram. If we'll, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so yes, a eunuch is a man who's been castrated. Now, why? Ty, why can Esther only be attended by men who are eunuchs? Uh, because she has to stay pure for the king. Yes. She, the, no man. And again, to be a king is to be God. Remember, what's the, Cam, do you remember this? What's the unique rule about every law that King A passes? It cannot be what? It cannot be retracted or redacted or something. Yeah, it can't be changed because because think about it. If you're God, then you can't you can't get your laws corrected. Alexa, what is so funny about the passing of laws? This is very serious. <laughs> no, it's because you said eunuch and then you said unique, and so I thought of like the eunuch. Did key. I really? <laughs> like, oh yes, my god! Okay. So I, I'm sorry. It wasn't even no, that funny. No, I'm but, never like, living that down. <laughs> That's fantastic. No, it's good. Okay. It's really not. <laughs> I thought it was. I thought you're among friends here. So, okay. So this theme of eunuchs is super important here. Now, we're also going to see, um, someone tell me, what is Esther's relation to Mordecai? Abigail, what is Esther's relation to Mordecai? Um, Esther is his niece. So it's kind of tricky wording. I think they're actually cousins. I think, um, I think they're actually cousins, but they're super, super close in family relation, right? Now, they're close in family relation. Mordecai is having a huge crisis, and Esther goes out to check on Mordecai. What's wrong about that sentence that I just said? They're very close in relation, and Esther goes to check out on Mordecai. Look at four and five again. <clears throat> um, Alexa, go ahead. Why didn't she check on him herself? Okay. She sent somebody else to do it? Is that it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This okay. whole chapter. You know, you know the famous, it, there's a famous line that we're going to see here in Esther where Mordecai says to Esther, for such a time as this, right, you've been chosen. Mordecai doesn't say that to Esther. He says that to Hathak, who goes back to Esther. We're going to see in this chapter, there's this, it's this constant back and forth. Esther really is in a prison, okay? She can't even go to her family member when he's in mourning, okay? And you, it's hard to catch that, but you'll see it. it and you, once you've seen it, now you can't unsee it. It's this constant back and forth. Esther can't even go to be with members of her own family, in which there's, there's no 
you know, there, there's no sexual impurity there, but she is trapped. And remember, we talked about this a while back. Esther is a movie star. She's the queen of, of a powerful kingdom. She's an influencer. But, and, and there, it, it's not saying that fame is a prison or anything like that, but, but it is. We, we want so badly to have Esther's life. And the only person who doesn't want Esther's life is, is at least a little bit is Esther. You see what I'm saying? Now, here's the other thing, too. Um, this is a huge sign. So, Ty, sackcloth and ashes is a big sign of what again? Morning. Yeah, of deep mourning and pain. All right, you guys are back with me. It's a sign of deep mourning and pain, okay? Um, and what, Anna, in verse 5, no, excuse me, in verse 4, what is Esther's solution to this? Sending clothes to Mordecai? All right, now let's talk. No. <laughs> no, you're, you're, you're right. Cam, why is that? What's the problem with that? If, if you go ahead, you, you got it. Like that's not gonna solve any problems. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, she's is surface level. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? We're gonna see in this chapter, this chapter really points to Jesus because it shows that Jesus is the better Esther, okay? Think about how, I mean, and, and this is the world she's been in. Remember, Esther has, has only, um, Abigail, how did Esther become queen? Was it through her political wisdom and years of study? No, she did, slept Sorry? She slept with him? Yes, she slept with him. This is the shallow world that Esther has been in. There's no depth to her here. If someone is in deep mourning and her solution is to sing close, she's just trying to she doesn't appreciate the gravity of the situation. She's trying to cover this up and be done with it. There's no depth. She's not trying to engage with him at all. And it, I mean, let it be a reminder to us that when people are going through deep issues, we need to help them because that's messy. And, and it's, it's easy to bash Esther here, but I mean, we do the same thing. It's so easy to just be like, just kind of cover it up or I'll talk to you tomorrow or we don't really, when people are going to pieces in emotion, we don't ever really stop to think that, well, there's probably a reason for that. We just wish it would stop. You see what I mean? So anyway, so we go in there with Esther. Let's keep going. Um, Ty, can you read six through eight? Six through eight. Is that, you pronounce that Hathok? I think Hathok is fine. Whatever's Hathak. easiest. Okay. All right, Hathok went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the king's gate. And Mordecai told him all that had happened and the exact sum of money that Haman had promised to pay into the king's treasuries for the destruction of the Jews. Do eight as well. Oh, sorry. You're Mordecai good. also gave him a copy of the written decree issued in Susa for their destruction that he might show it to Esther and explain it to her and command her to go to the king to beg his favor and plead with him on behalf of her people. Good. Okay, so two things real quick. First of all, when Esther tries to send clothes to Mordecai, right? Alexa, when Esther tries to send clothes to Mordecai, what's Mordecai's reaction to the clothes? In verse... Uh, he didn't accept them. Good. He doesn't accept them. As his way of saying, this is so much more important than this. I need your attention. Now, 
Abigail, can you just read verse four until I tell you to stop? Sure. When Esther's young when Esther's young woman and her eunuchs came and told her, the queen was deeply distressed. Okay, stop. Okay. Came and told her what? Came and told her what? Let's go Cam. Came and told her what? It's not a trick question. What do you think about what just happened, what Haman has done? So what are they telling her about? That he didn't accept the clothes. No, no. So this is before that. This is before that. She sends out garments to clothe Mordecai, but this is before that. So what are they telling Esther about? Think about chapter three. What has Haman done? And then everyone's going to tell Esther. The fact right. that Haman is sent out a decree to kill all the Jews. Okay, exactly. What? Why is that weird? Why is that? Think again about Esther kind of being imprisoned here. Think about Esther's position. Why is this weird? Go ahead, Alexa. I mean, she's the queen. You think she would know about stuff like this? I mean, yeah. a good portion of the people were just going to be like annihilated. You think the king's wife would know something? That's exactly right. We're seeing more of this prison thing happening. Esther is second in command. I mean, if not kind of first in command of all of Persia and an edict to wipe out an entire people group has to be told to her by the common folk, right? The cooks in the kitchen know more about what's happening in the kingdom than the queen does, okay? She's totally isolated. And, and what Ty just read in verse eight, Mordecai gives Esther a copy of the edict because she doesn't know, right? So she tries to, to appease things. Now, let's keep going. Um, Ty, can you read, just do nine and 10. Okay. And Hathak went and told Esther what Mordecai had said. That Esther spoke to Hathak and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, Okay, again, look, it's this whole back and forth thing. This is about genocide of your own people. You've got your cousin who you're very close with right here, and you, it, she can't even speak with him. Okay. So she's totally isolated. Mordecai, so Anna, what is Mordecai asking Esther to do, basically? Why does Mordecai need Esther's help, essentially? To do what? I guess to talk to the king, because she kind of yeah. has a direct contact with him. Right. Who better to go to, first of all? Yeah, absolutely. Esther has to, Esther has to represent her people before the king to rescue them, okay? Which sounds a lot like what someone else does in the New Testament, right? Um, she, goes, she goes forth as a representative of her people, but Esther has different ideas. All right, um, Alexa, can you read just 11? All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court, without being summoned by the king has but one law that they be put to death unless the king extends the gold scepter to them and spares their lives. But 30 days have passed since I was called to go to the king. Okay, good. So first of all, 
Alexa, read 11 again, so I'll tell you to stop. All the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces know that for any manner... That was perfect. Who Sum that up for me, Cam. Who all knows what Esther is about to say? All the officials of pretty much everyone. Everyone knows what Esther is about to say. Not a trick question, Ty. If everyone knows what Esther is about to say, then who also knows what Esther is about to say? The king. Well, the king, but also who's she talking to? Oh, uh, Hathik. Well, yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right. So <laughs> Mordecai already knows this, okay? If everyone knows this, then Mordecai knows that she can't go in to see him. She can't go in to see the king, et cetera, et cetera. But he's still asking her to do it, okay? Why is he, Ty, why is he still asking her to do it? Because they're related. Well, yeah, because they're related. And because this is this is the genocide. Like, it's like, you got to see Esther here because Mordecai basically is like, Esther, we need you. Our entire race is going to be wiped out. And Esther responds and says, like, she responds and says, yeah, but Mordecai, I could get hurt for doing that. Well, Esther... One, you're the queen, but also this is, this is how massively important this is. This is a huge, um, how else, okay, let's think about this. Anna, what is Esther's, what is her title? What is her title? She's the what of Persia? She's the queen. All right, Alexa, not a trick question. If the queen of Persia can't help Mordecai, what is Mordecai supposed to do? Absolutely nothing, because no one can help him. Yeah, like where, like where is he supposed, like what is he supposed, okay, never mind, I guess. Like what is he supposed to do? Like, and that's, so he's going to Esther and Esther responds by telling him something. He, he knows that this is going to put Esther's life in danger. He knows that. So the only reason he's going to go to her is because he has, he has, he has what? Or he doesn't have what? He doesn't have any other choice. He has no other. This is the bottom of the barrel. This is, this is the only thing that I can think to do. This is all that I can do. He's refusing clothes. This is, this is all that I can do. And Esther's response is, okay, it's basically like he's saying, Esther, I know you could die, but you have to step up and be queen and help us here. And Esther says, but Mordecai, I could die. I know, but there's, but we have no other choice. You see what I'm saying? Like, note Esther's immaturity here. Okay. She, and, and, and I'm not saying that like she should just toughen up or that this should, you know, that's not what I'm saying, but here's the thing, Anna, not a trick question. What is Esther's title? She's the queen. Have you noticed that it has yet to call her Queen Esther? She has not been called Queen Esther this entire time. She's been queen for two chapters now. Really three, if you count chapter two. It will only call her Queen Esther in the next chapter when she agrees to sacrifice herself for her people. Now, Cam, 
connect those dots for me. Why does it not call, why does the author not call her Queen Esther until she agrees to die for her people? What's he saying about authority and, and representing people and, and duty and what, what, what's going on there? And she earns her title when she is willing to lay down her life for her people. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. It's not, authority is not a title. Authority is something that happens when we give our lives for our people. Um, rulers are meant to help people. That's, that's the whole point of, and no, I'm not going to talk about presidents here, though I certainly could. Um, there, there's no, like when God created Adam to rule over mankind, when God, when Israel asks for King Saul to be king, do you remember what God says first? So Saul is Israel's first king. But when they ask for a king, do you remember what God says? God says, I am your king. Because God's the only one who's going to be able to do this the correct way. Because the only true ruler is a ruler who wants what's best for his people or her people. Okay? That's what a ruler does. Which brings us to another king, the last king of Israel in the New Testament, who loves his people so much that he does lay down his life for them. See, Esther is a preview of Jesus. Look at this ruler who is asked to possibly, and that's the thing, not a trick question, Alexa, not a trick question. Do we know for a fact that King A is going to kill Esther if she goes before him? No, not really. It's just an assumption. No, we don't know. And we were actually told earlier in the, in the book that King A loves Esther. Now, King A's love is not a love that we should be going after, but it's better than what he thought of Vashti, right? So there's no, and we'll see this next chapter, Esther, Esther's um, fear is not founded. King A doesn't do that, okay? We have this ruler who's, who is forced to die for her people, possibly, so that they can live. This is the gospel. This is a preview, but Esther is failing in exactly all the wrong places. She doesn't take the grief of her people seriously, right? Cam, remember, what does she do when Haman comes in sackcloth and ashes? What's the first thing she tries to do? She sends them clothes to cover it up. She tries to cover it up, right? She tries to, to, let's get this over with. Let's move on so I can get back to living my life. She's almost enjoying being queen more than she's actually being a queen. Does that make sense? She's enjoying her life of luxury. She doesn't want to ruin that. Well, in the New Testament, we have someone who didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but who gave it up to become a servant, Philippians, talking about Jesus, right? Um, it shows her immaturity. Rulers are people who help their people, right? Um, Esther's fear. And, and so not a trick question, Ty. What happens here if Esther does nothing? What happens to her people? They're all going to get killed. They're all going to be slaughtered. And yet Esther, so, so Esther, they're going to kill everyone if you don't do something. And Esther's response is, let me think on that one. So, so again, 
and I'm not trying to, we're not trying to bash Esther, but we use Esther as this be like Esther, be like Esther, not, not chapter four, not chapter one through four Esther, right? She, she slept her way to the top, which was not, she was pulled into that, but we have no record of her resisting this way, right? Um, and now she's completely folding on her task and on her duty. Um, and so, so basically, now let's back up here. Let's get back to our Sunday school deal, right? So Cam, what is kind of the rule? Esther tells Mordecai, I can't just go before the king. There's a, there's a rule here. What's the rule? What's going on? Like any person who goes before the king without being summoned is will essentially be killed unless he extends like a golden scepter to her. Yeah, it, it just means that you're accepted. Now, remember, we learned, remember the, the advisors to the king in chapter one, it says specifically that they like can see the king's face. Um, I need to find it. Uh, I'll find it later. But literally, the king's officials are the only ones who can, oh, there it is, chapter 1, verse 14, who saw the king's face, which means they are the only ones who can walk in and out. That's Esther 1, 14, if you're taking notes. And Esther can't do that, okay? And, and now, why, why is that? Why is it that you can't go call for the king, he has to call you? Why would that be? Think about the culture. Why would that be? A weird rule like that. Alexa, take a swing. This is gonna be like super like far fetched, but like you know how like people always try to kill monarchs. Oh, true. Yeah, yeah. So like maybe if they weren't invited, what's stopping mm-hmm. them from killing him? For sure. For maybe. Sure. So yeah, no, I think safety is absolutely a huge part of it. It's also this idea again, Cam. What's the rule with all of King A's rules? What's the rule with that or his laws? That it can't be changed. It can't be changed. Ty, why can Esther not be near any other men that aren't eunuchs? Because he made it a law. Well, because he made it a law and because, and because she can't be with someone. King A is God. You don't go asking God for things. God summons you when God wants to. Does that make sense? That's the vibe here, okay? Um, Esther going before is kind of the same as Vashti not going before him. It's, it's this idea of King A is God. You don't do, this is huge shame and honor culture. All right, let's bring this one home, man. Um, Abigail, can you read 12 and 13? 12 and 13. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said. Mordecai told them to reply to Esther. Do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. Okay, good. So, first of all, again, note the back and forth. This is all taking place, not literally from a prison cell. You know, it's, it's like a prison cell with beautiful walls. It's a luxury prison cell. She has everything she could possibly want except connection with other human beings, right? Even her own family. Um, And then Haman, excuse me, then Mordecai starts to say, don't think that you're going to be able to escape. And then he says this, Ty, can you read 14? For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. 
And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. There it is. All right. So first of all, this word deliverance in 14 is the same word that God uses in Exodus 6, 6 to deliver Israel out of Egypt. Okay. So there are big Exodus themes here. And remember, Esther takes place kind of towards the end of the Old Testament. So you start with an Exodus and the hope is to end with an Exodus. Okay, so keep that in the back of your head. Haman says, if you, so Alexa, what is Haman, oh, I do it every time. What is Mordecai, sorry, what is Mordecai basically saying to Esther here? What's he saying he's, here? I mean, he's basically saying, you're not going to be safe either way. So might as yeah. well do it for the good of the people. Haman seems to have this knowledge that anyone who doesn't try to help the Jewish people usually ends up dead. People who usually try to hurt God's people usually end up dead. How does he know that, right? How does he know? Because he clearly isn't, doesn't seem to be worshiping God that we can see. How does he know that? It's almost like Haman knows all the religious language, but he doesn't worship the God of that religious language. He knows his Old Testament. He knows that Agag, the Amalekites, Esau, Pharaoh, Assyria, Nineveh, all these kingdoms who seem to rise against God's people, it doesn't go well for them, right? But, he, but in nowhere do we see that he mentions God, actually. So he knows all the religious language. He knows all the stories. But he doesn't seem to be worshiping the God of those stories. Um, the other thing that's interesting too here is notice it says um, deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. The whole line is going to be annihilated. Like God's wrath on you for not helping us is going to be horrific. Okay. And again, he knows all these truths but he doesn't mention God at all. And this happens to us, right? It's easy to know the religious language. Um, it's easy to be arrogant about it, right? It's so easy to, and again, I know I bring this up every week, but it's just such an easy example. It's so easy to spew. I see, I see a lot of people spew hatred towards pro-choicers, abortion advocates to hate these people to arrogantly look down our nose at those people and yet we don't actually know the god of the children in the womb does that make sense you make it this issue and hey and every time and mordecai is making the deliverance of his people the issue but he has no he does no love for the god of these people he's just focused on the deliverance. He knows the stories, but he doesn't know God. All right. Alexa, can you read 15 through 17? 15 through 17. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. And I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Good. Okay, a lot of stuff here. First of all, 
Esther tells Mordecai to go basically do what, Cam? What is Mordecai supposed to do? And the people? To fast for three days. Okay, good. First of all, the three days thing is all over scripture. It's really interesting. But also, um, Alexa, take a swing. What do you think Jewish people typically were supposed to do while they fasted? Pray. And where is that in what you just read? Nowhere. Not there. Again, any Jewish reader would say, wait a second. Where's the other part of this? This this crew has completely forgotten God. And there may have been some prayer here, but the author's trying to make the point of these people are in no way worshiping God, even when their lives literally depend on it, and God is still going to deliver them. This is the love that God has for his people, even when they don't get it right, but even when they don't want to get it right. Remember, one of the themes of Esther is the grace that God gives to people. Well, we'll see it. Hang on, we'll see it. Um, Look at 16, the famous line. What is, so uh, Ty, what does Esther basically say at the end of 16? If she perishes, she perishes. All right, we kind of Americanize this and romanticize this because we know how Esther ends. But Anna, not a trick question. Does Esther, do Esther and Mordecai seem to have any hope in or love for God at this point? No. No, there's no hope for God. There's no love for God. So we don't have any actual hope that Esther's not going to perish here. This is kind of, this isn't some cool, you know, dramatic music. She's so tough. This is very, this is kind of this hopelessness. She doesn't know. It's almost like, it's almost like an atheist deal. Esther is rolling the dice here. She doesn't know, there's been no evidence to suggest to us that Esther has this deep faith in God in the face of certain death. Esther is just resigned. It's very kind of, huh, like it, like there is no power in this. It's very hopeless, but we see this. Alexa, can you just read 17? So Mordecai went away and carried out all of Esther's instructions. Hold on. Think about Esther's character up to this point. Cam, what's weird about verse 17? In a good way, think about Esther's character up to this point, what she's always done, but what she's doing now. Like she, I know how to say it, I just can't say it. Alexa, can you help her out? For a girl who's pretty submissive the entire time, she actually has instructions now. Okay. (laughs) Esther is starting to become Queen Esther. She's not there yet. She's not, I mean, clearly, she's got a lot of work to do. But look at how she's changing. Okay. Now, this is super complicated and super deep. So you need to hang with me. In the same chapter, we see Esther blatantly disobeying God, blatantly showing no faith in God, and yet also being changed by the grace of God at the same time. You see all that? 
Everything but the last verse of this chapter has been, oh my gosh, Esther, seriously? But then we see Esther starting to change. Is that not exactly like our lives? Is that not exactly like our lives? Like, I just think back on my day in like ways that I haven't shown faith, ways that I've flown off the handle, ways that lust has gotten a hold of me or impatience has gotten a hold of me. And yet, when I look back on the last year of my life, I, I look back and I see, wow, how did I get here? In the best way, I think, wow, God has really done some things in my life. How, where did that come from? Stuff like this. Remember, one of the themes of Esther is God giving grace to people who don't ask for it, who don't deserve it, and who don't even appreciate it when they get it, okay? And, and we have got to get a more biblical view of ourselves. We're not like King David who slew Goliath. We're much more like David with Bathsheba or David with Absalom. We're, we're David when he gets it wrong, okay? Remember, the point of the book of Esther is not be like Esther. The point of the book of Esther is that you already are like Esther. We already are Esther, right? The point of the book of Esther is not be like Esther. The point of the book of Esther is that you already are like Esther. The point of the book of Esther is God's grace works in these deep ways that even during our disobedience, he is still doing works in our heart that lead to obedience later. It's this, it's this um, messy process of God working in our lives, digging. We just don't appreciate how deep our sin really goes, okay? At, look at how sinful, how immature Esther has been, and it ends on an upshot. How is that possible? How can that end on an upshot? The only way it's possible is if someone besides Esther is doing the work here. And it's God. We see God's hand throughout this whole book. And this is one of the ways. Esther is starting to become, in fact, if you even, we won't get into it, but in Esther chapter 5, verse 2, in Esther chapter 5, verse 1, well, let's just look at the first two chapters, uh, first two verses. Anna, can you read Esther chapter 5, verse 1? On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace, in front of the king's quarters, while the king was sitting on his royal throne inside the throne room opposite the entrance to the palace. So Esther is, about, is doing what she said she was going to do. And then Anna, can you read 2 to tell you to stop? And when the king saw Queen Esther standing Stop. in the court. There it is. She is now doing what she's supposed to be doing. And now the narrative changes and specifically calls her Queen Esther. Because she's finally doing what a queen should do. What someone in power should do. Which is leveraging that power to help her people. Saving God's people. And so we have this preview of what Christ Jesus will do, who, had, who lived in the royal palace with God, and instead of questioning whether or not he had to, he willingly gives it all up, right? And he doesn't say, if I perish, I perish. He says, when I perish, I'll perish for my people. King G Esther is a preview 
if only, you know, you know, you kind of leave Esther thinking, man, if only we had a ruler who would do this for us, who would give themselves for us and not have to, it's kind of, I don't know. The whole thing is kind of tough because, well, yeah, she does it, but she's got to be like pushed into it. You know what I mean? Like, how would you feel if on your wedding day, the groomsmen are behind your husband, like pushing him up, get up there. That's not the most like striking, you know what I mean? Or reverse with the fellas, right? If the, if your future wife has to be like cajoled into being up there, you know, Esther is, becomes a great queen, but she leaves a lot to be desired. And we have a king who not only doesn't begrudgingly die for us, but he leaps at the chance to. It's this wonderful picture. Esther leaves a hole that we need a better Esther to fill, right? And Esther's a person. She's just like us. This isn't trashing Esther. She's just like us. We need someone better than Esther to help us, right? All right, that's Esther chapter four. You guys did a good job. Chapter five is only 14 chapters. I would imagine we would definitely bust through that. Um, yeah, so we'll be good. Revelation 18 this Sunday. Keep that in mind. You guys did a great job. Um, Ty, can you pray us out and we'll be done? Sure. Lord, we thank you so much for your word and we thank you so much for the message we received. Uh, we thank you for allowing Ryan to give us the message and for allowing us to be prepared to receive the message as well. Uh, we ask that you just uh, look out for us as we go throughout the, the weekend and just allow us to spend time each and every day uh, in your word and just grow in our relationship with you and just uh, bring us back safely on Sunday and then next Thursday as well, Lord, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. Love you guys. See you guys hopefully Sunday uh, on Zoom. And if not, see you next Thursday. You guys are awesome. Bye. Bye.